through the course of our worship this morning, we've begun by giving God praise and glory and considering how great our God is. We move to a time of confession, considering in light of God's greatness, the bad news of our sin, the tragedy of our sin and rebellion against Him. And then we move on to think about Christ, the solid rock on which we stand, who when we are lost and wandering in our own way, called us to Himself and saved us, that we would stand and sing, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. All I have is Christ. We consider the work of Christ on the cross. And now we think about the good news. What is the good news? The good news is not only that Christ came to save us from our sins. The good news is how we are saved through his coming, through his work. The message is not that God is great, you are sinful, Christ came, and now you have to do this, this, and this. The message is not that you have to go here and say this and learn that. That's not the message. The good news is that God is great, God is mighty, God is holy and just and righteous, and we are sinful. We are not any of those things. But he sent Christ to die on the cross in our place, condemned he stood, and he rose again three days later. And he has promised, promised, that all who trust in the name of the Lord will be saved. That, my friend, is the good news. Sola fide, that by faith alone, you're saved. It's not faith plus anything. We live in a, in a time, in a land, in which we're used to earning, aren't we? We earn everything. Everything that you have, more than likely, or most of what you have has been earned. You earn a living. You earn your paycheck. You earn a scholarship. You earn a starting spot on the ball team, or you earn the first chair in the band. The things you have are things that you've worked hard to earn, and many of us are proud of those things, aren't we? But when we turn today to the cry of sola fide, it stands in contrast to all those things. It is natural for us to think that because we earn everything else in life, then we must earn our salvation. We must earn eternal life. It would be a natural longing, a natural bent, a natural kind of idea for us to think that. Because we're conditioned to know that, hey, if I want this, I need to do something to earn it. But sola fide stands in contrast to that and says there is nothing that you can do, nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Nothing. It's by faith alone. You're justified by faith alone. It's because of the work of Christ on the cross that sola fide means what the choir is saying, that we would stand and we would sing with them, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. There's nothing that we bring to the table in our salvation. Nothing. It is by faith alone in Christ alone. This was a cry of the Reformation that came about in Martin Luther's time. The church was in a position where the Bible was not in the language of the common man, so the common man was not reading the Bible. He was at the disposal of the church leaders who had begun abusing their authority and taking advantage of people, and false teaching had crept into the church. Salvation was confused. 
And all the while, there was a German monk named Martin Luther who was wrestling with how he can be righteous before God. How can he truly be justified? How can he stand before a holy God? And he's wrestling with this until God ultimately does a work in his life in what historians call the tower experience. And they're not sure if it happened in, in one moment, as the story's often told, or if it was kind of a, something that happened progressively over several days or weeks of study. But Martin Luther is studying in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, and he's grappling with 117. What does it mean that the righteousness of God is, is displayed, is revealed in the gospel? What does that mean? He's wrestling with that. And ultimately, God does a work in which he understands that justification is by faith alone. That you're saved by faith alone. It's not faith plus words. It's not faith plus anything. You're saved by faith alone. And Luther would go on to write and go on to study. And when he gets into Romans 3, verse 28, the passage that Ricky read this morning, when he comes to that statement about justification being by faith alone, he coins and pens in Latin, sola fide, where we get our term this morning. And he continues to teach and continues to stand on this doctrine of which he would eventually say before his death that the doctrine of justification by faith is a doctrine on which the church stands or falls. It's a doctrine on which we want to think about this morning, our time together. So here's a question. The doctrine of justification by faith was controversial in Luther's day. Is it controversial today? Is it something that we need to discuss? Is it something that we need to focus on? Is it something that's relevant? Does it really matter? I would contend to you, yes, it does. I want to ask you to open up to Galatians chapter 2 this morning. We'll be reading from verses 15 and 16. As you turn, I would contend to you that this is a critical, critical theological truth that we have to know. It's not a theological truth that's reserved for seminary classes. It's not a theological truth that's reserved for books in one of our libraries. It's a theological truth that is incredibly practical and relevant and necessary for our lives as believers. Let's read Galatians 2 this morning. Many of you are familiar with Galatians from your study in small groups. You'll remember that Paul's writing to the church in Galatia and reprimanding them. He calls them foolish Galatians. He looks at them and says, oh, you foolish Galatians, how quick are you to depart from the true gospel and to follow another one? There's not really another one, he says, but you would think there was. Why would you do that? So he's reprimanding them. In chapter 2, he tells about the time where he confronts Peter, right? The apostle Paul confronting the apostle Peter standing before him and calling him out because his walk was not consistent with the gospel. There was some legalism, some works creeping into his message of what it requires to be saved. And so that's what we have coming up to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 15. Read with me. Paul says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law no one will be justified. No one will be justified. 
Now, Paul begins in verse 15. He makes this statement. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. He's identifying with Peter. He's identifying with the people in Galatia and saying, listen, this is who we are. We are religious. We are, Gent- or we are Jews by birth. That is our heritage. He's showing a little, saying, identifying with some religious pride or maybe confronting religious pride would be a better way to say it. He's saying, hey, listen, we are part of God's chosen people. We are very religious. In our day, he might say, listen, we're from the Bible Belt. We've sat through the Sunday school lessons. We've heard the sermons. We YouTube all of our favorite preachers. And we've even read some really good books on Christianity. We know. We're good. We understand. Been there, done that. This ain't the first time we've been to church, buddy. We're not like those other people, those Gentile sinners who are doing whatever you want to think they're doing right now while we're sitting in here. We ain't like them, right? Paul's identifying with that. The same way we might identify with those around us. Somebody, you're sitting at Baxter's and they say, hey, let me tell you, let me, let me tell you what, what it means, what the gospel means. You say, hey, I know, man, I've been there, done that. I am a Bible Belt Christian born and raised in the church. My diaper was changed more in the nursery than it was at my house. I'm good. Paul says, listen, that, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't change the truth. And right away, we need to understand that there is, there is a danger of allowing religiosity to produce, a, to produce a pride that can blind us to the truth of the gospel. It can blind us to the simplicity of the gospel that, that we are saved by faith alone and not according to our works. See, some in our day, in our area, in the Bible Belt, would presume upon baptism, right? And so they would be thinking in their mind, they may not stand up and say it, but they say, listen, I've been baptized and I'm not a pagan sinner. They're counting on baptism to save them. But yet, no fruit is in their life. No fruit. Or some might presume upon how good of a man I am. Man, I, I, I'm just a good guy. I'm not like that guy. And so they presume on their own morality, their own goodness, in comparison to those around them. Yet their confidence is more in self-help theories than it is in the cross of Christ. And so Paul says, listen, you may be religious, you may be from the Bible Belt, you may be the Jew of all Jews. But verse 16, yet we know. Yet we know. Even though we're religious, even though we come from all that, we know that our religiosity cannot save us. So even though you may have been born and raised in Somerset, Kentucky, I hope you know that your religion does not save you. Your religious works and your religious deeds do not save you. It's the work of Christ on the cross and your faith in Him that saves. His work, your response of faith that saves. So he goes on, verse 16. The key for us this morning. He says, yet we know. What, what does he know? That a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. We know that it's faith in Jesus Christ that saves. So what we want to turn our attention to briefly is this, is is this whole idea of justification, right? A theological word, a one that you may not have 
used on Twitter this week, or you may not have posted anything to Instagram or Snapchat, whatever your social media of choice is, you may not have posted anything that had the word justification in it. Man, happy to be justified this week, right? Chances are none of you did that this week. I want to ask you if you did. I didn't. So what does it mean? We come across, is this a word we skim over? Is it a word we ignore? Is it a word we chalk up to theological terms we don't understand? No. It's a term we must understand as believers. Because it's critical, vital to the gospel message and to our salvation. To be justified means to be right before God, to be right with God. So it's the idea that, that one who would be on trial is then justified or shown to be innocent. So one who is guilty in a court of law or, or is standing in a court of law trying to be determined, are they guilty or not? They are justified, they are declared innocent. So if that's what it is, it leads to a very important question when we think about our faith, our relationship with Christ, and it's this, is how can we be counted righteous before God when it's impossible to stand before Him sinless? We've already talked about that this morning, right? We sing of God's greatness, and then what did we do this morning? We took some time and we confessed our own sinfulness. I didn't confess your sins for you. I confess my sins, <laughs> right? And I hope you took time to confess your sins. We all jointly confessed our sins to the Lord. So if that's the case, if we would all in here say, hey, we are sinful, how can we stand before God? How can we come before God and be counted righteous when we all know we're sinful? How does that work? What do we do? This is a question that Martin Luther was wrestling with in Romans 1.17 where it says, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. Luther, when he was commenting on this, he said that it made him sick, physically sick, to think of God's justice being revealed towards him. He saw it as an oppressive, an assault from God, as something like action that God came at him with justice. That his justice was revealed, and he did not like that. It made him sick. And what he failed to see was that the righteousness of God is the gift of God by which we are declared righteous. When he saw that, man, it opened his eyes. And listen to what he says. When he realized that the righteousness of God was a gift, listen to what he says. He says, the righteousness of God is that righteousness by which through grace and mercy, God justifies us by faith. I felt myself reborn. The passage of, God, the passage of Paul became my gate to heaven. Works do not make one righteous. Righteousness creates good works. Luther said he, he realized that the righteousness of God was grace and mercy by which God grants us and declares us to be righteous. It's not something where we're trying to work and trying to earn and get to a point where we become righteous. He says when he realized that, it, it opened up the gate to heaven and, and he, had, he was rejoicing. He said, I felt I'd been reborn, he says with an exclamation mark. He was rejoicing in that. And that led him to stand firm against the teaching of the church of his day. So the question centered on if this is what justification means. If justification, to be justified, means to be right before God, then how do we understand that? How do we understand? There's two differing views. Two differing views. The view of the church is what is known as infused righteousness or being made righteousness or righteous. It's the idea that, that righteousness is given to the believer to change us internally in hope of one day God declaring you as just, God declaring you righteous. 
So the easiest way for me to kind of think about this is, um, have you ever infused a turkey? Anybody ever done that? The little the shot, you infuse the turkey with flavor? You guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody? I'm not the only one on the planet that's infused a turkey, right? Goodness gracious. You guys are looking at me like I'm an alien. Or maybe you had the same experience as I did. You infuse it, right? You, so you get this big thing. That it's, the, it's the syringe that we all fear Dr. Pat has when we have to go see him, right? It's that big syringe. And you come at that turkey breast, and you've got it filled up with all this just lovely tasting stuff, and you suck it in there or shoot it in there, I guess, right? You infuse it, and then you're thinking, oh, it's going to be great. And what happened with the one that I did was there was a few spots that were really tasty, and then the other rest of the turkey tasted like the turkey normally did, right? It's kind of disappointing. It is somewhat similar in that it's an idea that, that God would would take his righteousness and infuse us in the inside and then and then as a process a part of that we be sanctified and grow at different measures that people might perhaps get infused more or less than others the differing levels of righteousness hence people who are more holier or less holy walking around and so the result people would not know for certain of their standing before God. Are my works good enough? When will I be justified? Do I need more righteousness before I stand before the Lord? Their standing was not changed. The Catholic Catechism, this may make it a little more clear, this is actually the Catechism of 1992, so they still hold to this, the Catholic Church, says that justification is not only the remission of sins, but also sanctification and renewal of the interior man. They blend justification and sanctification. So the question that has to be asked is, at what point is the renewal good for justification? When does that happen? They don't know. So what happens is they become very dependent upon works and looking to works to show and to prove and to show themselves righteous. They confuse and blend justification and sanctification. Luther saw this and he pointed it out, which brought about great controversy. As Luther understood that justification and sanctification, while closely tied together, are two different things. That we are justified before the Lord, which we'll talk about in just a moment. And then God sanctifies us and grows us in righteousness to the point that we are glorified before Him. Luther understood that. The church had confused it. So his response was to say, no, 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 no. It's not an infused righteousness what it's, what it's talking about and what it's understanding is that it is an imputed righteousness. So the second view that Luther and the Reformers put forward and that we would hold to today when we think about sola fide and justification by faith alone is an imputed righteousness. It's a, it's a legal or a forensic declaration that Jesus' righteousness is reckoned to us as our own. That God would declare and say, you are righteous before me. There's certainty. It's been imputed upon us or imputed to us, bestowed upon us. So we have confidence that our standing before God is different. We stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You know, a, a very tangible and real example of this, I asked permission to share this this morning. I was visiting with, with Beverly, Miss Jewel, in her, perhaps her final hours, it seems. 
And uh, Beverly shared with me, she said, you know, mom came to Christ when I was five years old. When I was five years old. And even as young as I was, I knew it. Because it changed our family. It changed our family. And she told me about some of those changes. You should ask her some really funny stories about how they lived out their faith. And, and uh, she was towing the line. But what she shared with me that just, man, resonated with what we're talking about this morning. And she said, you know, the, the last few weeks, mom's faith has been strong. It's been strong. And she loved to sing. She loved to sing. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. In the midst of her final days. And she said, I would often walk by and hear her praying over the last few weeks. Jesus, take me home. I'm ready. Take me home. I'm ready. I'm ready. How can she say that? She can say that because she knows her standing before God. There's no question when she stands before her maker as to whether or not she has reached a certain level of justification, sanctification. There's no confusion there. No, she knows because she's trusted the completed work of Christ and she's trusted the reality that Paul talks about. That we are justified by faith alone. That what that means is that God declares his people righteous. That he looks upon the sinner, he looks to him in faith, and he declares, you're righteous. See, justification by faith alone has more to do with our standing, our status before God than to the work of God within us. It leads to the work of God within us in sanctification. But it, it deals with, with the righteous judge, with the holy righteous God extending a favorable verdict towards us on our behalf that we would no longer stand before him condemned we stand confident in the righteousness of Christ it's for this reason that we sing my hope is built on nothing less than what I dare not trust the sweetest frame but holy trust in Jesus name and then what's he say about the end what's he say about the end this is the song maybe playing through Jules' mind. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone. Not mine, his. That's why we can sing with confidence, with smiles on our face, with joy, that when the final trumpet sounds, when we stand before our God, we want to be found in Christ, in his righteousness, faultless to stand before the throne. That's why. That's the confidence we have. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. So the question is, if that's what justification is, how are we justified? How are we justified? It's not faith plus works, as they said in Galatia. 
It's not the idea that justification and sanctification are blended to get us to the point where we appease God or we can stand before Him as the Catholic Church had confused. Or even in our day, it's not the, the idea that if we go to church enough, if we tithe, if we go to the Christian school, if we say the right things, if we join FCA, if we have enough biblical knowledge, if we're a good person, then we'll be saved. It's none of that. How are we justified according to Scriptures? Verse 16. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ. We also. Who is he talking about? Remember? Us, the religious ones. The ones that might say, hey, I've done this. I've been there. I've heard that. I've memorized these scriptures. He says, no, 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 listen. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ. Why? In order to be justified by faith in Jesus Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one, no one, will be justified. We are justified by faith alone, sola fide. Faith is the instrument, the means by which God has chosen to impute righteousness to us. So that in Acts 13, 39, it says everyone who believes is freed. It's the same word for justified. So everyone who believes is justified. It's final. It's certain. We don't do things to remove the wrong we've done. You understand this, right? Let's say theoretically, just we'll pretend hypothetical situation that I was driving in Nashville and went through a red light too late and a camera took a picture of me and I got a ticket. We'll just, that didn't, may not have happened or may have. We won't talk about that. But let's just say it did. Now, if I went through and let's say that I was smart enough, which I probably wouldn't have been, but if I was smart enough to see that camera and I saw it, take a picture of me and my license plate so they could mail me a nice ticket for 75 bucks. If I had been smart enough and quick enough to see that, and I went, ooh, I've messed up. Could I then say, well, watch this. There's cameras at every red light. So I'm going to go to the next red light, and I'm going to come to a complete stop, and I'm going to wait and look both ways. And not only am I going to look both ways, I'm going to look both ways again because I'm on tape. They'll see it. I'll be extra careful, and I will go through that red light, and I'm going to do the, thing, the same thing at the next red light, and the next one, and the next one. I may even do it for the next 10 red lights. And that way, I'll be good. Now, would any of us do that and think, hey, all right, now that I've done that, I'm not going to get a ticket in the mail? No. No. We got to write a check to Nashville. I had obeyed a lot of laws while I was down there. But none of that obedience erased my disobedience. None of it. It's the same thing in our relationship with the Lord. We have rebelled against God. We have sinned against Him. And our good works do not erase that. Our good works do not erase it. We're justified by faith and by faith alone. Paul knows this. Turn to Romans 3 briefly. Pastor Ricky read this morning. Romans 3. Paul knew this, so, so that he writes, just listen, it's faith in Christ alone. He, he goes through this gospel in a nutshell, beautiful passage, starting in verse 21, going down through 28. He says, a righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. What is it? What is this righteousness? We want this righteousness? We want it? Right? We do? He says, the righteousness of God through what? Through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who believe, there's no distinction for all sin and fall short of the glory of God and are what? They're justified 
by works? No. Justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by being really religious, going to Grace Baptist Church, learning memory verses. No, to be received by faith. Why? This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. Why? So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Do you, you want to be justified? You want to stand before God declared righteous? Have faith in Christ. Have faith in Christ. And the response, he says, what? Then what becomes of our boasting? Do we boast? No. It's excluded by what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. You're justified by faith. God declares you righteous. Are you? No. You're like me. You're a sinner. But God declares you righteous. No amount of works, no amount of works is faith alone that saves. He goes on. We don't have time today, and we'll cover it in a few years, I guess, right? Romans chapter 4, the great example of Abraham, of life by faith, the one to whom all the Jews would look to. And Paul says, even Abraham is justified by faith alone. Even Abraham. He believed in what it was reckoned to him. It was credited to him as righteousness wasn't the things he did or didn't do it was his belief his faith to save now mind you this is not faith for the sake of faith it's not just hey you got to have faith right it's not that that if i just have faith in anything right i can have faith that that door right there will save me and guess what the door's not going to save me it's not faith you're saved by faith but the object of that faith is the key is faith in who in Jesus. It's not faith in the church. It's not faith in your tithe. It's not faith in your morality. It's not just, oh, I got faith in what? I don't know. It's faith in Jesus Christ. In Christ alone. It's faith in Christ. So, here's a question. We're calling this a call to a new reformation. That would imply that it still matters. Why does it matter? Here's one reason that sola fide matters is because for those of you sitting here this morning that are unbelievers, I can genuinely look at you and others in this room can genuinely look at you and offer you true hope. True hope. It's not an offer to say, hey, listen, you change your life and then you come to Christ. It's not an offer to say, you know what, uh, we want you to live a better life and be a better person and then you can be saved. If you're good enough, if you do this then you can stand before the Lord. No, we offer you a genuine hope to say, you know what, you can't do it. You can't. You can never be good enough. Never. Never. It doesn't matter what you're doing, what you're striving for, how you're trying to clean yourself up. You can't do it. You can read every self-help book there is. At the end of the day, you've wasted your money because you can't help yourself enough. But the genuine hope is that hope in Christ alone, by faith in Christ, saves. 
So you who are unbelievers this morning, we would appeal to you to turn to Christ and trust him for salvation. We have the confidence, here's another reason it matters, that we have confidence for the day that we stand before the Lord. My hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy trust in Jesus' name. That's who we trust. That's who we count on. We have confidence to stand before the Lord. We have the confidence that Jewel, who's walked with the Lord for 70 years, and now is eager to see her saved. The third way it matters, third reason it matters, is that we do not fear condemnation. Having been declared righteous before God, we know the truth of Romans 8.1, that there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why else does it matter that God justifies through faith, that he declares us righteous? Because we have no fear of man. We have no fear of man. The, the, the passage at the end of Romans 8 where he's talking about the supreme love of God and how nothing can separate us from the love of God. He comes to Romans 8.33 and he says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who? Who can do it? Who can come against God's elect? you know what his basis for that is? He says it's because it's God who justifies. Nobody's bringing a charge against you, believer. It's God who justified you. He declared you righteous. No one's going to come before you and go, Oh, no, 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 no. It's God who justifies, not man. Last reason. It keeps us humble and thankful. In justification by faith, sola fide, faith alone, it keeps us humble because it's the beauty of the gospel. It reminds us the grace and mercy of the Lord, that salvation is not dependent on me, it's not dependent on you, it's dependent on God's great grace and mercy. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what it's about. Is we have confidence, we have humility before the Lord, and we're thankful that we can stand and sing before the Lord because of His great grace and mercy. Listen, that's the call. That's the call to a new reformation. So, church, I would call you to that today. I would call you to have a new zeal and a new hunger to declare that we are saved by faith alone. We're justified by faith alone. Going to church will not save you. That we would reject the idea that being a good guy saves you. We would reject the idea that just walking the aisle and being a member of a church would save you. We would reject the idea that knowing all the right theological terms would save you. We would reject the idea that the depth of someone's sins would prevent them from being saved but that we would look and say it doesn't matter how quote-unquote good you are, religious you are, or how quote-unquote bad you are, it's by faith alone that you're saved and that we would present that message of hope, that we would boldly proclaim and be invigorated to tell people about that because we know the beauty and the good news of the gospel. Unbeliever, I would call you to that. Not necessarily a new reformation, this is a reformation that you would repent and trust in Christ by faith. And know what it means to stand before the throne of God in confidence and to praise his name. The worship team's going to make their way up. And we're going to sing today, we're going to sing two songs to end. We're throwing all kinds of curveballs at you today with Bill gone, so don't tell him. But you know what we're going to sing first? We're going to sing Jesus paid it all. Because that's where our faith lies. That's where our confidence is. It's in the work of Christ. Where our faith is in him. And I want to leave you. Here's two original verses that you may not have ever heard. 
there's two verses in there. Some have been reworded, but originally it said this, for nothing good have I, whereby thy grace to claim. So there's nothing good in me that I can claim ownership of your grace. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. And then it goes, he goes on to say, and now complete in him my robe, his righteousness. Close sheltered neath his side, I am divinely blessed. Blessed by his righteousness. So church, let's stand. And let's sing to the one who has paid it all in thankfulness in humble adoration and worship that is through faith that we have been saved let's sing together